0: Welcome to Herd at Heritage. Herd at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation, here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you. I am honored to host this event today. Um, It is not because that we have forgotten 1776. uh, In the intervening centuries, Great Britain has become America's greatest and most important strategic partner. And it's it's not just because of the strategic relevance of our relationship or because of the bonds of, of because of anything to do with race or religion or, or language. It is in part because in the intervening centuries, the British monarchy has become an instrument of creating one of the most resilient democratic institutions in the world one that shares the American conception of uh, of exceptionalism the notion of popular sovereignty and a government run for the people by the people and to talk about the role of that institution in the world today and how it affects this uh, incredible partnership between the United States and Great Britain I want to turn it over to my my great buddy Joe LeConte, who's the director of the Simon Center for American Studies and our AW, uh, AWC Family Foundation Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. He's also the author of God, Luck, and Liberties, my three favorite words in one sentence. That's just so cool. Uh, Joe, it's an incredible panel. You said it all started to me. This is like getting the Justice League back together. So let me hand it off to you and, and thank you all so much on behalf of Heritage and all, all the participants today for uh, joining in this panel. Joe, over to you.
1: Yes, thank you, Jim. And thank you. This panel, thank you for investing the time to be with us today. This is the all-star panel. We couldn't have chosen a better panel for this event. I want to uh, just express my thanks. Thank you for our audience here on the American side and, of course, on the British side. This event has gotten a lot of attention. Some of our friends on the left are already foaming at the mouth at the thought of somebody having a a nice uh, word to say about the British monarchy. Uh, And we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, But I want to just offer quickly some very uh, historical context, and then we'll get into the discussion. Many liberals have seized upon Oprah Winfrey's interview with the Royals, with Harry and Meghan, in an attempt to invalidate one of the most consequential conservative institutions on the world stage. The aim, it seems, is to tear down everything the monarchy represents. I got interested in this topic uh, years ago when I was doing my academic work at King's College London, studying John Locke. That's when it dawned on me that the American Revolution owed a great debt to Britain's constitutional monarchy. Uh, Yes, we got rid of the king. Uh, We got rid of a national church. That's what made the American Revolution a radical revolution. But it was also a conservative revolution because the American colonists, remember, they were claiming their chartered rights as Englishmen, their chartered rights as Englishmen. So what rights were they defending? Well, you can go back to the Magna Carta, 1215. The English monarchy agreed that no political leader was above the law. The monarchy affirmed the principles of due process and trial by jury. And then another turning point, England's glorious revolution, 1688-89. The new monarchs, William and Mary, committed themselves to obeying the laws of parliament. So in the end, Thomas Hobbes and the Leviathan lost the argument. Britain's constitutional monarchy decisively rejected political absolutism about a century before the American Revolution, right? Unlike any other political authority at the time, the monarchy endorsed uh, the concept of man's natural and inalienable rights, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right to assemble, the right to worship God according to the dictates of conscience. Ladies and gentlemen, all of these rights in some form were exported. They were exported to the American colonies. Our own Bill of Rights in the Constitution is modeled on them. So yes, we turned away from monarchy. But Americans have embraced more thoroughly than any nation on earth the unique achievements of Britain's constitutional monarchy in advancing human freedom. All of this, of course, is lost on the radical left. Ignorant of our history, Drowning in grievances and incapable of gratitude, modern liberalism left unchecked naturally evolves into the Leviathan, a monarchy of megalomania. So maybe Great Britain has built something worth preserving, a political system that could place itself on the path to a more just, tolerant and democratic society. God save the queen. Well, Let me do some quick introductions here. You have uh, full biographies uh, in hand. I'll introduce everybody and then we'll throw it open for Q&A. The Right Honorable Sir Ian Duncan Smith was the leader of Britain's Conservative Party from 2001, 2003. After stepping down from the leadership, he founded the Center for uh, Social Justice, a think tank devoted to tackling poverty and social breakdown. Sir Ian's leadership on these issues helped to transform the Conservative Party in Britain and accounts for much of its political success. In 2019, Sir Ian served as campaign chairman to Boris Johnson's bid for leader of the Conservative Party. He continues to serve as a member of parliament. Camilla Tomini, an associate editor for politics and royals at The Telegraph in London, a contributing expert on the royal family for ITV network in Britain and NBC News here. Ms. Tomini first started reporting on the British royal family in 2005, When she covered the marriage of Prince Charles to Camilla Parker Boyles. She co-anchored the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle for NBC's Today Show, which had about 55 million viewers. Not bad. Well, she's been granted exclusive access to interview numerous members of the royal family. Tim Montgomery, a British conservative commentator and activist, uh, he's founder of conservativehome.com, arguably the most important conservative website in the UK. He co-founded the Center for Social Justice with Sir Ian. Mr. Montgomery has uh, was the editorial page editor for The Times. He writes regularly about British politics, Brexit, conservatism, and religion. In September 2019, he was appointed social justice advisor for Boris Johnson. The Observer has described Tim Montgomery as one of the most influential conservatives outside of the British cabinet, and I count him among my closest friends. And Niall Gardner, director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation, a leading authority on the Anglo-American special relationship. Before joining Heritage, Dr. Gardner served as a foreign policy aide to Lady Thatcher uh, in her private office in London assisting her in her final book, Statecraft, Strategies for a Changing World, and advising Lady Thatcher on international issues. He worked, uh, his work for Lady Thatcher helped to shape her foreign policy vision, including her call for Great Britain to consider leaving the European Union, which laid the foundations for Brexit about a decade later. I also count Niall Gardner among my closest friends and gentlemen, not everybody gets into that club, just so you know it is an exclusive <laughs> club for for whatever that's worth now let's get uh let's get to questions here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and i'm going to give you opening questions, and I want you to use these as kind of your opening statement. Take three or four minutes uh take the question wherever you want to go. We're going to start with Sir Ian, Sir Ian, We want to get your response here, especially for an American audience as a national political leader yourself there in Britain. Get your response to the allegations of racism that have been leveled at the royal family, as well as the claim that the monarchy itself is an institution steeped in a legacy Mm. of racism and it's just time for it to go. So take that that question wherever you like Sir Ian.
2: Well, thank you very much indeed. And thanks for having me on this uh, particular call. Um, Let me start by saying that uh, I I believe in uh, the constitutional monarchy of the United Kingdom. I believe in it because I believe it creates a stable base for our democratic politics i think that um we can all pick the forms that we wish but i've never wanted to have a another politician like me uh, take over the head of state role because uh, whatever else we say about it uh, we bring our own political biases and our views and what i think that uh, the queen at the moment of the royal family bring to this is a stability without a uh, the massive expression of views but with a sense that they need to, at the end of the day to bring people together I think they've done that remarkably well. I think you only have to look at what's been going on with the Covid outbreak to see to what extent the public uh, has a very high regard here for the behaviour of the Queen and the senior royals uh, throughout that process, demonstrating as the Queen did the other day for those who had worries about taking the vaccine. Uh, a woman in the 90s uh, chose to take the vaccine uh, to show that she had. they should have no fear about that and that had a huge effect on uh, people's views generally. Uh, her dedication to the commonwealth, uh, to people of all races, or all religions, creeds and beliefs throughout that remarkable organization uh, has been an inspiration, I think, to many, many people. Uh, and uh, that is a position, I think, that her son, uh, Prince Charles, takes on his work locally in communities.
0: You're, you're breaking up there just a little bit, Syrian. Yeah, we've lost your volume. Okay, we've lost your uh, volume there, sir, Ian. Can you hear us? Okay, we've got a little
1: transmission issue. If somebody could maybe connect with sir, Ian, and let him know that, that would be terrific. And we'll keep, exactly the, in, we'll keep the volume. Finish that thought, right. sir, Ian. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going
0: to say,
2: and I think therefore the first basis, the reason why it is respected is for all those reasons that it uh, it offers stability and a sense uh, of history and of destiny as well. And I think these things are important. It's not everybody makes their own choices and even individual countries for what they want. Uh, I don't personally believe that there is a single scintilla of any racist belief inside uh, members of the royal family. I've met them all and I've conversed with them on many occasions and I think their view from start to finish is that the United Kingdom is a country with different races and different creeds, uh, and they're there to be the monarch, helping and supporting all of them. I have ne- never heard, ever, a single comment that would suggest any other view other than that of unity, both for the United Kingdom and, I have to tell you, for the Commonwealth. So that's a, that simple view.
1: Well, fabulous. Thank you for that answer. Senior. We're going to come back to you, I promise, uh, but uh, Camilla. Could you t- give us some sense now, given your, your kind of insider's view of things, give us some sense, well, on the one hand, the, the relative popularity of uh, of the monarchy still in Great Britain, despite this, uh, or with this debate, this argument now raging, um, but also the impact maybe this is having on the royal family itself. What, what's the mood? Could you give us a your, your finger on the pulse of the mood over
3: there? Sure. Oh. Um, Well in the first instance, and thank you very much for having me, um, I think that it's good to describe people not necessarily as royalists but as realists in the sense that the royal family is around for as long as the British public wants it to be and consistently over the last three decades I think polling has suggested that there's over 65% in favour and 35% against and of those some of them might be completely indifferent and from a reporting point of view you know often I ask myself (laughs) is it worth the use of my time to go around following a 94 year old woman and her family about their daily lives Um, but actually there is a huge market and appetite for uh, royal news and as we've seen with the fallout from the Oprah Winfrey interview there is something about the royal family particularly that sort of entrances people and it's probably this sense of ordinary human beings being put on this pedestal and publicly making mistakes which the rest of us can reflect on and perhaps have bearing on our own lives and what's been interesting about the Winfrey incident is that often we've seen historically that royals when they have shown their human side and worn their hearts on their sleeves, it has endeared them further to the public. So while they have complained endlessly about negative publicity and torrid headlines, be they regarding Camilla Gate or Toe Gate or any other gate that you can mention, actually it's at these moments that the public really um, comes to love them best when they're making mistakes and proving that they're fallible. Having said that, I think the British reaction to um, Oprah has been that we can have too much of a good thing and actually when a couple start oversharing, what they're doing is like the wizard of oz pulling back the curtain on an institution which many people in britain at least want to have some mystique about it they don't want to be seeing the intricate details in too much gory detail and rightly or wrongly the reaction in britain not only because of the way that the couple have styled themselves and some feel that they've abandoned Britain in its hour of need because of the Covid pandemic and that they had a perfectly reasonable platform upon (coughs) which to uh, promote their charitable endeavours when they were inside the royal family, why have they left the Queen aged 94 and her 99 year old husband in their hour of need to go off and um, to quote the couple, seek financial independence in America. There is another caucus of opinion which is actually down to a generational divide of yo- and demographic divide of younger people who say, well, fair enough, good luck to them. The, royal, uh, the monarchy is a stuffy institution. They've um, claimed that it didn't listen adequately to Meghan's mental health problems and that there was a racist comment made by one unnamed member of the family and generally the institution's out of date. And you know what, you can have a debate about that. At the moment, you're asking Joe, what's the feeling inside the palace? I think from a familial perspective it's one of deep sadness, it isn't necessarily anger, I just think the Queen and um, her nearest and dearest has sort of reflected on all this and sort of asking themselves why the couple felt it was necessary to air this dirty linen in public when they had already secured Mexid and a deal so to speak to leave the royal family and carve their own path in LA why did they then need to sort of throw a grenade behind them and run away from the wreckage? So I suppose on an emotional level that's the fallout. Um, On a more practical level of course there is now um, an internal inquiry into um, the bullying allegations that have been levelled against the Sussexes and simultaneously I think there is a internal review of the mechanisms that My- Megan cited that let her down both from an HR and other perspective and a general look at a shake-up when it comes to the diversity of staff in the institution and there's been talk of appointing a czar to oversee that so yes there's a period of introspection from the palace Um The American response to the interview is different from the British. I think the British feel very protective, by and large, of the monarchy and understand that it requires a degree of personal sacrifice, whereas the Americans perhaps look upon this couple as being very hard done by, are sympathetic with Meghan's truth, um, despite the British press's attempts to perhaps question some of that narrative because contradictions have surfaced since the interview went to air on March the 7th. Um, and to quote the Queen, I think recollections may differ as to how Harry and Meghan operated within the institution of monarchy and their own version of events.
1: Thank you so much for that, Camilla. That's a, that's a seminar. You've just given us a, a graduate-level seminar in, in the royal family. That's terrific. Uh, Tim Montgomery, uh, maybe taking us in a different direction, Tim, because you have been so influential in creating institutions there in the UK that have really shaped the Conservative Party. And I'd like to get your perspective on how, how are conservatives responding to this controversy? Do you think more needs to be done? Are they outspoken the way they need to be? Just uh, maybe take that and run with it.
4: Well, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Joe, for uh, inviting me onto this panel. It's wonderful to be with you and Niall and two British friends. And um, we've been separate so much during this period of lockdown. It's uh, lovely to see uh, your faces. Well, look, I I, I think conservatives amongst all people in Britain, Camilla is right there is widespread sort of support and sympathy for the uh, royal family in, in the united kingdom but conservatives have always been perhaps the most uh supportive and i think it's it's because in so many ways the royal family is a very conservative institution if conservatives can't back something like the monarchy then i'm not really sure what we can back at all and you know i've i've watched american um debates in recent years. And, you know, for me, America is the second best country on earth, Um, (laughs) which is uh, the highest praise I could offer. Um, But I've been I've been worried as I've watched America um, recently, because because the head of state you have is a political person and because American society is so divided on so many big questions at the moment, the fact that you have politics in your head of state means there's almost no escape from the political uh, debates that that you're having and i think most people who are sensible know that politics is an important part of a national of a nation's life but shouldn't be anything like the dominant um part of a nation's mm-hmm. life and i think for me in trying to explain why i believe that the title of this seminar is correct and why the royal family will endure, it's because the royal family get that. The royal family understand that what they represent, a link to the nation's history, um, tradition, uh, family, even though, (laughs) like all families, it has breakdowns and problems. Service, charity, faith, um, those things, for most people, are at least as important as politics and to have one institution that embodies them and keeps at it is incredibly important and you, ima- you imagine um, you know a presidential a jim carville or figure sitting down for a presidential advisor they just uh, a presidential candidate and they've just been attacked on the front page of a national newspaper and the presidential candidate says i'm not going to respond at all." know that they've hit a crisis and i'm not going to take any fashion advice no 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 i'm going to keep going to church i'm going to keep wearing the same stuff i've always worn the the queen's success is really because you know the wizard of austin in part that camilla was sharing she doesn't reveal everything she doesn't feel the need to reveal everything she is what she is she serves the country dutifully unquestioningly and People admire that, but it also allows them project, to project other things onto her that you know the nation's granny she almost is you know at the moment she has this huge sense of embodying what people see in what is probably one of the best generations to to have ever um, lived um, there will be a period of vulnerability will be the final thing I'll say um when I think the queen goes which I hope, God save the Queen, thank you for saying that, Joe. I hope it will be a long time before the Queen goes. Her popularity, Camilla will correct me if I'm wrong, um, Camilla talked about two-thirds, one-third approval, disapproval. I think the Queen's ratings are much higher than the royal family generally. And when she goes, there is concern um, by some royalists, some hope um, from anti-royalists, that some of the divisiveness of Charles because of, the diana situation again because of what uh, harry's recently said will be an opportunity i think that's exaggerated because what you have to do i think think about is when the queen dies it will be a huge occasion in brit moment in british history i think the world will stop in part as well charles will be at the center of acknowledging the queen's contribution to british life and modern british history it will be i think a huge sense of sympathy and legitimacy at that moment of national mourning that Charles is the right person to inherit the crown. So yes, he does have a lot of baggage, um, but I think there is the overall sympathy, existing sympathy to the institution with the added sympathy for losing the Queen will keep the institution going for a n- number of decades yet. Yeah. Wow
1: thank you tim as always the most perceptive analysis we could possibly hope for so thank you for that friend uh and uh niall let me throw out uh what i think will be kind of um, a smoke bomb question for you here why do you think the left whether it's on uh in on, in great britain or here in the united states why does the left despise the monarchy what are they hoping to achieve uh joe thanks
5: uh very much for hosting this panel today and it's great to be with tim and camilla and, and ian uh, for this wonderful and very timely uh discussion um and i have to say you know the last few weeks have been uh you know quite extraordinary uh here in in the united states with regard to reactions to the monarchy uh, reactions to uh to great britain as as well and, and i've been uh, here in washington now for uh, close to uh, to 19 years and i've never seen the kind of vitriol uh, that we've seen uh, coming from the left today towards the the British monarchy and also towards Great Britain as well. And there's a, there's a fair amount of sort of anti-British sentiment under the surface on the left, especially the far left in uh, in the United States. And uh, and I think that what you're seeing at the moment, uh, Joe, is a, a sort of left-wing campaign to try and cancel the the monarchy. Uh, after all, the monarchy represents, as uh, as Tim mentioned you know, all of the, the conservative uh, values that we hold so so dear to our hearts. Uh, the, the monarchy represents, you know, Western civilization, uh, tradition, uh, heritage. Uh, it, it represents uh, something that, you know, the, the American left and no doubt the British uh, left as well really despise. And so we're seeing uh, what is a very political campaign here now in the US against the British monarchy uh, and one only has to go on to, on to twitter to see the kind of uh, horrible vitriol that is being directed at the the british monarchy uh today uh and and i think that um you know of course this is very worrying it's not surprising however uh it's it's part of the the broader sort of cancel culture approach of the left deeply intolerant of course of any opposing views deeply intolerant of conservative ideas and traditions and institutions and so the monarchy uh, is their latest Uh, Target. Uh, And certainly, there's going to be a big cultural battle ahead here uh, in the United States in the coming years. And and the monarchy uh, and uh, and also Great Britain, I think, is going to be part of it. Uh, And I think it's absolutely outrageous that you have now uh, the left here in the United States accusing the the royal family and also Great Britain of being racist. Uh, And as anyone who has worked with the royal family before can attest to, uh, the royals do not have an ounce of, of racism. Uh, in, their, in their fiber at all. Uh, and, and also, Britain, of course, is one of the most welcoming countries on the face of the earth, uh, and Britain is not a racist nation. And so, we have to push back very hard against these left-wing attacks. Uh, and also, we may have to make just a distinction between the, the American left uh, anti, uh, anti-British monarchy, anti-British, some of them as well, and the broader American public, who I think are still overwhelmingly supportive of, of the Queen, and they, they like the royals, they like the, the British monarchy. Every opinion poll conducted by Gallup on this issue for decades is shown the Queen to be a hugely popular figure among Americans with around a 70, uh, 65% to 70% approval rating for the Queen. That's higher, uh, frankly, than nearly any US uh, president in recent decades. So, you know, most Americans uh, love the Queen. Most Americans have great respect for the British monarchy, and they don't share the uh, the anti-monarchy views that, that we're seeing from, uh, from the left at the
1: moment in, in the United States. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Niall, for that. We're going to pick up that theme again, but I'm going to go back to Sir Ian. Sir Ian, you have played such an important role in the Conservative Party in Great Britain. It seems to me that your, your voice would certainly be considered part of the conscience of, of the party, of the Conservative Party. Um, a two-part question for you. How should, if I'm going to put you on the spot here, how do you think that the prime minister should be responding to this attack? We're hearing uh, really some pretty bad language uh, and I think some very um, bad politics from our side, political leaders on our side criticizing the monarchy. How should the prime minister be responding to that? And then maybe also uh, what would be your message to the White House and the Biden administration in the midst of this, uh, uh, this debate? Over to you.
2: Oh, well, uh, these are large holes you're offering me to go and jump into, but I'm going to uh, tiptoe <laughs> around, if you don't mind, others who uh, are in a different position to choose what they want to do. With regards to the Prime Minister, I genuinely think he's got this about right. His immediate statement afterwards is he's a huge supporter of uh, Majesty the Queen and the royal family and recognises the work that they do and uh, that they're an institution which, on which the whole basis of the United Kingdom Uh, exists and works. I thought he was pretty straight about that. What he didn't do was get involved in the debate uh, because I don't think he should have done and I think he took a lead there from the Queen whose answer to all of this was we'll sort this out in private. Uh, And I have to say I don't know any family in the world that wouldn't have wanted to respond in much the same way. We are none of us, none of us, and I put this to the detractors, none of us up for grabs when we peel away the veneer of how families work because they don't stand up to scrutiny uh, obvious reasons emotions relationships they all differ who hasn't made a mistake in their family life who hasn't got families where people have had relationships that have broken down where others have left and criticized them and attacked them who hasn't felt desperate about that and still wanting to feel close to them the truth is all of those Elements and emotions exist in the royal family. The difference is, no other family sits with sort of interrogation and speculation uh, that the royal family does. So, I would have hoped people would have taken a pace back and had a pause. The second thing I have to say, really, about what this is all about is I would hope, and I'm not going to take particular sides here uh, with you in the USA because this is a matter for you quite legitimately to decide, but I would hope that whoever is in government will take the very serious view that whatever your personal views are, your greatest ally in the world has as its head of state the Queen and the royal family. I think we need to show respect for each other's institutions. I have never, ever criticized the institution of the presidency. There have been many tempting moments when things that have happened that you might say, this is a whole load of nonsense and you know they've got it wrong. But my view has always been <clears throat> the presidency is the head of the constitution of the united states and they deserve at least the respect that we have for that as an institution and i think that should be a two-way process so uh using it as a vehicle to attack the monarchy i think is sad and i do say that's sad i'm with tim in a way uh i have family who are american citizens live in america and i regard the united states as a remarkable country uh you know the the other side of the mirror from the UK. So much of what they, you know, the United States took was things they saw that were wrong with us. They've led to problems in the USA, uh, which we don't have in the UK, but they've also remediated stuff we had in the UK. We've we've fed off each other for a couple of hundred years. Like it or not, through good times and bad, the USA and the UK have had a relationship. And all I would say now is we shouldn't judge people on a sofa and a conversation. I up to camilla's point which is truth needs due process allegations need none
1: well Sirian, you bring a kind of moral seriousness to this uh this issue that is just so lacking it seems to me in so many places so I so appreciate that especially the the dynamic of any family to keep that in mind that's just terrific I'm going to kind of throw it open for a, a wide-ranging discussion here but I do want to maybe uh, invite uh, uh, Camilla back into this. Um, the, the royal family itself, you want to unpack this a little bit more, especially for an American audience. What don't, what don't Americans maybe appreciate or understand about the royal family that would be good for them to understand in, in the midst of this, particularly in the midst of this uh, this debate?
3: Well, I think on one hand, they are an ordinary family kind of behind palace gates and Typically it is, as you might expect, that Prince Philip has always been the patriarch and that although she is the head of state and a kind of national matriarch, actually the Queen is a conflict avoider and wouldn't be the type of person who would want any family conflict whatsoever, but equally wouldn't be the one to knock heads together. And I think sort of generationally, because she's 94 and her husband's 99, and he retired from public life in 2017, and retreated up to Sandringham, which is their Norfolk home, which is quite a few hundred miles away from the main base at Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle, there has been a bit of a vacuum when it comes to the resolution of these family matters. And you can say about the Prince of Wales, you know, um, I think a man who despite criticisms of him and his marriage to Princess Diana is intrinsically a kind-hearted fellow, but perhaps a bit weak when it comes to trying to um, arbitrate between his warring sons. And I think it's been problematic for him because he has often had to curry favor with both of them because obviously in the wake of Princess Diana's death, um, their relationship with their late mother is sacrosanct and maybe there is blame there that they apportion to their father. which has made it an awkward situation for him to find himself in. Because you kind of reflect on this and you think, well, how did it come to pass that suddenly you have Prince Harry of all people, this once universally popular royal who um, people in Britain really revered because of his efforts in the military and with things like the Invictus Games, suddenly finds himself sort of criticizing his nearest and dearest on Oprah's sofa. And I think there's a degree of, British disappointment about the idea that the couple were sort of talking about their respect for the queen while simultaneously trashing everything that she stands for. I think people found that quite difficult. Ian talked earlier about this idea that no one, no family on earth um, doesn't understand the difficulties that can arise between relationships for whatever reason. But often what happens is when there's conflict, both sides show some introspection. And what we saw on Oprah's sofa was a complete lack of introspection from the couple themselves. It was either the staff's fault or the family's fault or indeed the British press's fault, but never they took any blame, which I think people find just generally inconsistent with the realities of everyday life. Um, And I think there's another good point raised by by Monty about this aspect of the Queen remaining sacrosanct. It's, you'd even find you find it hard pushed, actually, to find Republicans who have a bad word to say about HM. They might not like the institution of monarchy, but if you say, well, what is your problem with the Queen as an individual? You sort of have this 68 years of stalwart surface. Um, and not, obviously, a position of great wealth and privilege, but at the same time involving a huge amount of personal sacrifice. This idea of putting duty for, first is quite hard to fault, to be honest, and not least when you have a woman who's working still well beyond retirement age. There's natural sympathy for the fact that she's now having to deal with this crisis, not least when her husband has spent the last four weeks in hospital. So you have all of that to take on board. Um, And I'll hand over to somebody else now.
1: No, that's terrific. That's terrific. Maybe, uh, Tim, picking this up a bit, uh, why this debate matters. Uh, Because there's a tendency, it seems to me, in our modern media frenzy, is to drag everything down to the lowest possible level, lowest common denominator, and to and to really miss the bigger picture. What's really at issue? Why does this debate matter, Tim? Give us some uh, some more perspective on it.
4: I think it ma- I think it matters on, on many levels, but um, I, I would say one of the things that most worries me about um, debating. Britain, and I think worries me, although I shouldn't speak too much for your own country, um, is this whole debate um, that takes place um, so often now on race. And I think the incendiary charge that was levelled at the royal family was the racism charge. Um, And I think with Niall's remarks, you know, that seems to be what has upset a lot of people in America. And I think if it was true that the royal family was an inherently racist institution, I don't think Camilla or Ian or myself would be as relaxed. Well, we wouldn't be relaxed at all in this conversation. It would worry us a great deal. I think to have made the allegation about racism in the way that they did, no context for this remark about the the colour of the of the of the baby, no sense of how senior the royal who made or Whatever household member made it. And then for people to believe um, the allegation um, and to be willing to repeat it endlessly, the BBC, which is a very dominant broadcaster here in the UK, more dominant really than any other broadcaster um, in most democracies, um, does really have at its heart the idea that most institutions in Western civilization have some kind of institutional racism. And so there was huge sympathy on the BBC for the allegations. And I think this way that we are debating at the moment in the West to constantly looking for racism in the institutions that um, have held us together in large part, and to be so sympathetic to those allegations, regardless of their merit, is going to tear us apart in serious ways if we continue to go down this road. And so the way that the royal family manages this, the way that we debate it is incredibly important for all sorts of debates that some people characterize as wokeness versus traditionalism. I don't think that quite encapsulates it, but it matters. And so there are all sorts of reasons for Britain that, that we defend the monarchy, but this, this way of attacking institutions and good people has become such the first resort of so many people in public life and now it's being leveled at such an important institution that's why i think it matters
1: yes thank you Tim that that is just brilliant please please
3: go ahead just very quickly because Nala said you know there isn't a shred of racism in the royal family um we know that the royals have had a history of using inappropriate language we know that because Prince Harry himself once referred to a fellow um, officer in the army as the P word. Um, He used another derogatory term to describe, I think, the Taliban. Um, There may, and and, and it's, this is the point, isn't it? This is about perceptions. And do some people think that's a clumsy use of language? We can think back to some of Prince Philip's gaffes. Or is there this sense that inherently, These people are, you know, effectively sort of white supremacists. That's the the debate here. But the idea, I don't think we can discount that there may not have, there has been inappropriate language used historically, not just by figures in the royal family, but, but, but figures generally in public life. We can appreciate that. On the other side of that coin, of course, is this institution that actually has done so much to try and forge bonds with Commonwealth countries. You know, you can, that's how complex and nuanced this is. You can have somebody like Prince Harry who you know obviously regrets that language and regrets the wearing of the Nazi uniform and conversely can go out to the Caribbean even pre-marriage or relationship with Meghan and be a huge hit in the Caribbean and be hugged by I think it was the um, then Prime Minister of Jamaica or one country sort of flirting with republicanism because it made such an impression on the local population that's the nuance of what we're dealing with here I think pardon the pun, but you know suddenly black and white statements, is the royal family racist per se? You know, the Avenue Q song from that musical springs to mind. I mean, there's an argument isn't there, and this is what's pervading at the moment. Everyone's a little bit racist, and you could apply that to people of all skin colors. Yes. So it was difficult because that allegation was made, and it's just tarred them all with this brush, and we didn't know the context. Um, and maybe there is no right context to be commenting on the tone of Archie's skin.
1: Yes, it's, it's as if uh, America or the American left is trying to export its obsession with race, export it uh, to Great Britain. And, and as Tim suggested, turning everything into this racial question. Niall, do you wanna pick that up? Why this debate matters? What do Americans, why should Americans care about this debate with the royal family? Why does it matter to us?
5: Well, I think that, you know, this whole debate has become um, very much a political issue, actually, uh, here in, in the United States. And I do think that, uh, you know, Meghan and Harry's interview with, with Oprah was, uh, was a, a political interview. And it was a, a sort of cruise missile strike against the, the British monarchy. Uh, and uh, they, they must have known full well what the impact of that interview would be. Uh, and without a doubt, this was aiming a you know a dagger at the heart of the of the royal family. Uh, and uh, it, this has become a hugely political issue because you now have the the White House weighing in, praising uh, what they call as Meghan Markle's courage. You have uh, Hillary Clinton weighing in, Michelle Obama, a whole host of uh, of senior Democrats have have weighed in on this on this issue. And I think it, it matters because when you have attacks on the the British uh, monarchy, you're also uh, attacking uh, Great Britain itself. And uh, with with the Queen as head of state, uh, with the monarchy having such an important role uh, in in modern Britain and throughout British history, uh, I think that this has become, a, frankly, a you know political attack on not only the monarchy but also on, on the UK itself. Uh, and uh, I have to say, it's it's outrageous that you have uh, the the U.S. president or the uh, the office of the White House weighing in on this matter, basically with implicit criticism of the British monarchy, uh, and that has really crossed the line here. Uh, and perhaps it's not surprising, uh, you know, with the Biden White House. After all, the first act or well, one of the first acts by President Biden when he moved in was to remove the bust of Winston Churchill from the Oval Office. The second time has happened, of course, because President Obama did the same. Uh, Donald Trump returned it to the Oval Office. Uh, but, you know, this, this says a lot when you have a, a White House that is prepared to, to take swipes against the British monarchy. When you have British soldiers on the front lines in Afghanistan, for example, fighting shoulder to shoulder with the US allies and British uh, British troops are fighting for you know, for God, for for Queen and for, and for country here. And the monarchy really matters to the British people. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, these attacks coming from the highest echelons of the US government against the monarchy, uh, I, I think are absolutely outrageous uh, and, and unacceptable. And there should be, in my view, a, a response from uh, the British government because this is now a political uh, matter here. And we certainly have, uh, you know, forces on the left who are Eager as well to undermine the the U.S. U.K. special relationship, uh, they they hate Brexit, they don't like Boris, uh, they you know they are, are keen to undermine what is the most powerful partnership of modern times between uh, London and, and Washington, uh, and uh, you know we have to respond strongly against that, and I I do hope as well that the the British government will be willing to stand up. Uh, for the, the British monarchy on on the world stage, because this has now become uh, a, a very political matter here in in the United States.
1: I want to pick up this theme. Thank you, Niall. I want to pick this up with, with Sir Ian. Uh, it's not the first time that an American administration has behaved badly with, with respect to, to Great Britain. I'm thinking back to 1945 in the Yalta Conference. Franklin Roosevelt famously, in an effort to curry favor with Joseph Stalin, of all people, is marginalizing... Winston Churchill during the Yalta Conference, won't even meet with him personally. And that was deeply painful to Churchill. It didn't help the cause of peace and democracy in Europe, that's for sure. But for whatever set of reasons, that's what the American president was doing. Maybe, Ian, speaking into this point, the the importance of the Anglo-American relationship and how this issue plays into that, how we handle that, how we talk about that here, and how it might uh, impact that special relationship. Any thoughts on that?
2: Unmute. I've always thought that the special relationship was more about what we share than about what we think of each other. Um, so, you know, we're driven by uh, a common language, whatever we think about uh, different uses of it. But a common language. We have a very uh, a legal system and a constitutional system which is based on English common law, uh, which is, I think, the the best form of law. Actually, uh, proven to be the case now as more and more. Uh, jurisdictions adopt the similar process. Um, and at the end of it all, we have a similar view as a result of all of that towards things like freedom uh, and about uh, helping those who in different areas of the world in modern times who need our help. So I think you'll find that that sort of process means that the UK and the USA are more likely to arrive at similar conclusions about world events uh, than any two other countries are and that's because of we, who we are uh, that prime ministers and presidents get on helps reagan and thatcher we think of originally roosevelt and churchill although as you say later on the last stages i'm afraid i think roosevelt uh was heavily influenced by the state department at that stage that saw Churchill as a threat uh and it was the arrival of truman of course which changed all of that again and brought it back into perspective and of course uh, we know what happened when Churchill went over to the States and made his important speech about the Iron Curtain. So so this relationship comes and goes. But the one thing that perseveres throughout is the nature of the two nations. And they eventually come back, even if they drift apart for a while. And I always take the view that the, when the UK and the USA are together, the world is by and large a safer place. Where we've been parted from each other, I think that that therefore puts things you know into problematic areas and i think therefore i would always say that that we are natural allies and friends so what does that mean about the politics i do always take this simple view that um we should respect each other's institutions uh, now listen camilla <coughs> touched on this earlier on she said for all of the brouhaha about what happened at that particular interview i have to say i didn't watch it uh, I find talk shows at the most impenetrable punishment. I think if you have to really, really punish me, strap me down and make me listen to that and any other stupid nonsense that goes on these sofas but i 'm sure that I am completely alone in this and will face criticism for it, but I have to say, I just simply don't understand why people want to punish them like that. but uh here is the point uh, and this was touched on earlier on, which is the reality at the end of it all uh, that I think um People who jump on these things and understand, they say, and they know what has meant, and they know all the truths around these things. I, I think they're quite foolish, really. Um, I think the best thing we can always do is take a deep breath, take a pace back and say, do you know what? People have made allegations, but allegations aren't always who you are. Allegations are your view of somebody else, but they haven't necessarily been shown to be right. And sometimes they're influenced massively by emotion. I mean, there were elements of that. Uh, I think that uh, were brought out by the media. So, all I'd simply say is, I hope that whether you are on the left in government or on the right in government, uh, you do have the the nature in the United States to respect the idea that your greatest ally has chosen its form of government, has its own institutions, is a democracy, fights beside you for freedom, uh, and has upheld those principles to its own detriment, whether it be in the war being bombed, uh, whether it's being out there in Afghanistan or in Iraq, or whether it's actually supporting the United States at difficult times when many other countries in the rest of the world simply don't want to. I simply say, I think we deserve a little bit better than making this a political issue for a domestic audience.
1: Well said, Sir Ian. Well said. We've got a few minutes left here, ladies and gentlemen. I want to hear from Tim, and I want to give Camilla the last word uh, on on the royals. But Tim, maybe you're picking up that theme. I know you have thought Mm. a lot. You've written a lot. You and I have co-authored some pieces on the Anglo-American relationship. Anything you want to add and maybe unpack a little bit here on this topic?
4: Uh, Not especially. I think Ian just spoke incredibly well. But um, some people may think that, you know, the special relationship or whatever we want to call it isn't needed anymore because what we talk about you know Winston Churchill's bus etc in the White House is all you know for yesterday but I would say if um you know I could put any issue on the agenda in politics at the moment that I would want the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to focus on it would be the rise of China a totalitarian nation that is investing hugely in its military and technology and we don't know where we're going to end up. I feel hugely blessed to have spent most of my life in a period when Britain, America, the West have had technological military superiority over the rest of the world. A huge blessing on the longest period of peace. I think we still have every possibility to stay ahead in that race but only if we do the right decisions and take the right decisions um, now. And so for me, um, but I don't think that's guaranteed if we you know, become complacent. And so for me, our nations, any nation that loves democracy, who hates what China's doing to the Ouija's, who worries about its surveillance society, we should be drawing closer together at the moment and standing taller together not trying to accuse each other's institutions of some kind of moral or racist decay ian is doing amazing work on this subject not least with his parliamentary alliance of people from left and right in democracies who worry about china but that's what we should be talking about and not talking about some i think frivolous allegations against the royal family Mm -hmm. made by someone megan i'm afraid i'm going to be a little bit direct now who seems to fall out with most people she ever um encounters and if she really does want to be the president of the united states i wish you a great deal of luck um but we shouldn't believe everything we read in the newspapers
1: tim thank you for that great geostrategic uh point you're making there i'm going to take it now a little more personal here maybe camilla you have devoted so much of your vocational life i'm just really kind of curious about this as we close you've devoted so much of your vocational life to kind of following chasing down the royals um tell us just tell us why why that continues to really uh draw you and, and animate you tell us as a as an american audience
3: long may they reign over my mortgage joe i think is the answer to that question um i mean um look there's a huge appetite for royal stories um in the newspapers um and um as I said earlier, their lives are quite intriguing Um, and equally I think, you know, people quite like to reflect on their own lives through the prism of the royals Um, and that's only natural and we do it with celebrities but I think it's interesting particularly the American response to this because typically when I've worked in America or I've done tours in America you know, I've found that the Americans have put the royals on this extra special pedestal above even the sort of Hollywood A-list that might have stars on the um, Hollywood Boulevard. When it comes to this issue of um, Anglo-American relations, though, through the prism of the palace, what's interesting is uh, Ian there was mentioning these historically close relationships between, say, the likes of Thatcher and Reagan. But what about the relationship between the Queen and Reagan? And what about the relationship between a very young Prince Philip and the Queen when um, Jackie and um, Jack Kennedy came over in, in in the 60s? And um, equally, what I find interesting about the Joe Biden sort of knee jerk response, and I think Hillary Clinton also engaged in a bit of this instant, um, uh, you know, belief in Meghan's truth as gospel, is that I would imagine that as soon as a gilt edged um, invitation lands on the desk of the Oval Office for Joe and Jill Biden to come to Buckingham Palace and meet the Queen, they'll be absolutely jumping at the opportunity. And actually, those state visits, we had Tim there mentioning um, the Chinese, you know I remember covering Xi Jinping coming for a state visit, I think it was 2015 when Osborne and Cameron were nurturing a sort of special relationship with China which at the time I'm sure Ian was extremely uncomfortable about and the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate, was sat next to um, the Chinese president and I'd gotten the impression afterwards that the conversation had been very difficult because as well as being sat a pre- prerequisite two meters apart all of their stilted conversation had to be translated and you then compared that to when Michelle and Barack Obama came to Buckingham Palace which is another event that I covered and the warmth of the relationship there was plain to see there was no language barrier there was an innate understanding among the president and the first lady of what it was to be at Buckingham Palace, how important it was, the shared history, we obviously had that moment where Michelle put her hand behind the Queen's back but there was a genuine affection between them and actually and the Queen later invited Michelle Obama's daughters back to Buckingham Palace I think it was the following year and gave them a personal guided tour so it's interesting isn't it that we've had this criticism of the royal family while at the same time it has often been the Queen who has been the one to help to forge these political bonds between Downing Street and the White House and I would imagine that will continue I mean obviously we've got Coronavirus restrictions and goodness knows what else to get through Um, but it'll be interesting actually to see Joe Baden a man of his generation probably get on pretty well with the Queen and it will be interesting to see whether the criticisms of the institution that have come in the wake of Oprah are suddenly conveniently forgotten when the time (coughs) comes for them to be received by a marching band and all the rest of the trappings that come with any royal visit. No, that
1: is just a brilliant, brilliant point, brilliant point. And um, it makes me wonder, maybe uh, what the monarchy embodies at its best, these, this idea of virtue and duty and sacrifice for a, for a good and noble cause at its best, maybe that's a hint of the transcendent. maybe. And maybe that's why we we really don't want to get rid of the monarchy. We really don't. I wish we could talk for the next week together, folks. Thank you again for your engagement. Uh, in this panel. You've been just absolutely fabulous. Thank you all for engaging. Uh, check out the website. We'll have this up uh, for everybody uh, to see later on. Thank you again. When I, uh, I, I, don't, I can't express my gratitude for the investment of time here. Uh, so stay tuned and uh, God bless you all and God save the Queen. <laughs>